Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to have as my special guest today, Manu Tandon, CIO of the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, which is an affiliate of the Harvard Medical School. Manu, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. So just to set the record straight and for our listeners to really understand the structure. So Beth Israel had a recent restructuring, right, back in March, I believe. Do you want to just quickly walk us through what the current structure of the Beth Israel uh, health system is? Sure. So BIDMC, which is Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, as you mentioned, is academic medical center, Boston-based. It's a non-for-profit. Uh, it's affiliated with the Harvard Medical School, as you mentioned, located in downtown Boston. It's a tertiary quadri care hospital uh, with about 670 beds. It receives, on the research side, it receives about $270 million in research funding. And like you mentioned, back in March, we just became part of a bigger system. The name of the new system is Beth Israel Lehi Health, B-I-L-H. B-I-L-H is bringing together about 13 hospitals, a few AMCs, community hospitals, and uh, we're super excited about this new development. And uh, I will say that we're in the early form uh, of our merger, and so there's a lot to figure out, but uh, there's a lot of exciting thoughts and exciting stuff that's happening around it. Right, right. And I know that uh, BIDMC also launched uh, Center for Health IT Exploration. And John Halamka was on my podcast last week, and I guess that's also part of the overall health system. Is that right? That's right. John and I work fairly closely. John's looking at the BILH level innovation market space. He does a lot of work internationally and nationally. We at BIDMC has something called a Center for IT Exploration, which is, like you said, a little bit more focused on the academic medical center, more tied with the annual operating goals of the hospital. And, you know, our mission here at the Cytex, which is the short for Center for IT Exploration, is to look at innovations that are happening outside of healthcare and trying to bring them into healthcare, but under the context of our operating plan. So if our operating plan says, hey, our number one problem is to maximize our existing capacity, then we are looking, always looking for solutions that can help us with doing that. I hope to talk to you about a few of those as we go along today. Excellent. So we met Manu uh, when I attended the executive education program at the Harvard Med School, where you gave a fascinating presentation on your IT environment. And the, the thing that struck me the most was that you are the only major health system in the country to run your own electronic health record system. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about, uh, at least for the benefit of my listeners, and why the Beth Israel Deaconess Center has chosen not to implement one of the major industry EHR platforms till date? Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, you know, I've been here only for about four and five years. Our EHR obviously predates me. Several very highly talented folks have touched it as it has gone along. 
in, back in 1970, it started with an NIH grant to two doctors, Warren Slack and Howard Blaish, and they were they were trying to build a system which was patient-centered, and uh, I guess they were more patient-centric at the time before such a term even existed. And so what they did was they had this notion of usability and workflow to be central to the development of such a system. They started out with building actually a master patient index with about 500,000 patients, which is what we had at the time. And then sort of one thing kept leading to another, and over time they added, you know, clinical ancillary systems like labs and radiology, other diagnostic, administrative systems like registration, admitting, outpatient appointment, charge capture systems, clinical documentation. And then so this has now grown into what we call WebOMR, OMR actually originally, and then includes basically the entire gamut of EHR functionality in 2004. We launched WebOMR, which was basically a web-based version of OMR. So that's kind of where we are right now. In terms of your question of you know why we do we still use it, it works in the within the four boundaries of the hospital fairly well. It compares quite favorably in provider satisfaction surveys. We occasionally compare its functionality to the leading EHR vendors, and uh, it seems to fairly okay in that on that account as well. As I mentioned, it's browser-based, so that has some advantages to it. It's accessible from any browser running on any device anywhere. I will also add that having your own EHR allows us to control the workflows. And uh, as I'm sure you know, one of the biggest adoption barriers to innovations and third-party innovation especially is workflow integration. So we seem to not have that issue. I think this um, combination that we have has actually resonated with several innovators like Amazon, Google, and MIT with whom we have quite fruitful partnerships. I will say it does come with challenges. Interoperability is, I would say, as a national level, it remains a challenge. And, you know, keeping up with interoperability is a challenge. I think, you know, occasionally we have to go through certifications that draw resources to it, uh, regulatory requirements, state or federal. And I think now that we are part of a big system, as I mentioned at the top of the call on your prompt, you know, I think we are taking a look at the safe handoffs of patients within the system and where do we go with with our EMR. But I would say overall, where we are right now, you know, the EMR works quite well. Like I said, within the four walls of the hospital, it provides a good core platform, if you may, for workflow integration for innovative solutions, which we see as a differentiator. And then, obviously, it helps that it is very friendly to the bottom line as it comes at a very tiny fraction of a cost of what it would cost otherwise. You know, and we are, we are blessed to have great staff, highly skilled, dedicated. Even after so many years, Patty, of its existence, we are still rolling out more than a dozen enhancements every month to it. So it's a very robust environment. Right. right. That's a fascinating story, actually. So do you want to share a little bit about the overall technology stack and BIDs, BIDC that you manage, and a little bit about the IT governance model? Sure. So, I mean, the tech stack, as, I, as we all, we spend some time talking about, you know, the core of our tech stack is our homegrown EHR system. Right, right. But then we, you know, we have all the typical applications you would imagine, you know, PeopleSoft, we use PeopleSoft or HR, finance, supply chain, we have several websites, revenue cycle system. I will mention that we're in the middle of a multi-year project to migrate what can be migrated to the Amazon Web Services public cloud. So we're about, at this point, about 50% migrated. 
uh, in the over the course of the next year and a half, we expect to complete that project. I will also say that besides having a core EHR, we have been, as we have been thinking about our digital strategy, we have been thinking about expanding, if you may, our, our core EHR platform by adding three additional platforms that work fairly closely with our core EHR platform. So those, I would say those are our mobile platform where we are able to add mobile apps that work well with our EHR. We have added a location services beacon slash IoT platform, and we have added natural language processing NLP platform. And these, all these additional new platforms that I mentioned are all hosted on AWS. So we have sort of a hybrid data center model going on. I will say that culturally, we are kind of like a product shop within a hospital, if you may, because we have a full stack of, you know, as you can imagine, we're like, we have developers, architects, designers, analysts, testers. So we, we are more like a software shop that way, more traditional software shop that way within a hospital. That's what our tech stack looks like. In terms of your second question on governance, which, you know, by the way, I, I want to say, that that's a really key question and sometimes often overlooked. So I congratulate you for asking about it. It's probably a session that I can talk forever on, but I will just summarize by saying that we take governance very seriously. We have four components to it. We have a steering committee with about 24 members that owns the strategic plan. We have a fairly, the second component of our governance is a fairly straightforward way for anyone to make any IT requests. Instead, in fact, since we had put that new process out, we have seen about a 300% uptick in the number of distinct users that make the request. The third part of our governance process is a robust upfront triaging system, which is really where we put our smartest people. I call that part the secret sauce of governance. And the final leg of our governance is a transparent system for reporting progress to stakeholders. I think the reason it's critical is because The governance process allows us to, what I would say, establish trust, transparency, and accountability. And I think those three are prerequisites before one can launch innovation and digital solutions. Right. So you mentioned digital strategy. Uh, In my podcast, we talk a lot about digital strategy and digital transformation. Now, our research and everything that we see in the market and all the CIOs and everyone else that I talk to, suggests to us that healthcare is still in early stages of a digital transformation. And the definition of digital varies from health system to health Mm -hmm. system. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you're approaching digital and, you know, what are some of your key priorities? You talked about a couple of those earlier, but how do you treat digital differently? (laughs) When I think about this, I, I kind of go back to like, what is digital innovation? Is it the development of new capabilities or is it really something else? And I guess, you know, different folks have different opinions about it, but where I personally land on this is that I think that pure new capabilities, I think, emerge from real science or pure science. And I think, you know, I call them innovations and discoveries. To me, digital innovation is, is an applied science. It's about making connections. It's about finding new ways to perform existing functions. It's about seeing a business problem from a 360-degree view, understanding the people, process, and technology components that are playing into it, and then really creating a solution set that leverages either new or, in fact, just sometimes traditional technologies in a new connected way, which to me is the innovation part of it. And in terms of you know how we handle it internally, we don't necessarily 
differentiate between the innovation stream and the more, let's just say, conventional stream. We have one common process for our users to engage IT, regardless of whether they're looking for a traditional or a digital platform. Like I mentioned earlier, we are a common triaging process that really acts like a matchmaker, if you may, between business problems and the right technology platform, whether that's new innovative technology or existing technology. And I would say that that organic growth of innovation within our otherwise product-oriented development shop has served us fairly well, and that's how we see ourselves continuing down this journey. So the way you're defining digital innovation is you take emerging or existing technologies or traditional IT, and you find new ways to do things that are better, faster, cheaper, better experience, however you define it. Is that a reasonable summary? That's a perfect summary. Very good. Now, are you also the chief digital officer by definition? Is there a, is there a formally named title or is the CIO also the chief digital officer at BIDC? Well, you know, we have one unified team, I would say. So the quick answer is no, we don't have a chief digital officer. We have what I would say one unified team all under the CIO, which so when I say unified team, I'm including our core operations. We run a 24-7 hospital after all. So all the IT needed to support that. It also includes our entire EHR product stack that we talked about a little back. And then it also includes our center for IT exploration that we referred at the top of the call, which is really our innovation arm. So it's all under one, one team, one triaging system, one way to engage, one budget, if you may. And uh, a lot of the staff that works in the, these three streams intermingle and sometimes move on from one role to another quite a bit. It's a, I would say, Patty, that's a conscious choice. We made it to do it this way. Sometimes doing it this way may seem like it can slow things down. A lot of, I know a lot of organizations have taken a different sort of path to this where they have created the center of innovation sort of outside of operations. We chose to not do that. We chose to keep it in operations because I believe in the long run, that's more scalable. And plus the solutions that come out of the innovation side, if you may, get absorbed better in the operational side and are sustained longer and in, in a more informed way by our staff when you do it in a con- combined unified way like I defined. Right. And, and I think you you are a little bit unique in that regard because as you pointed out, uh, what I see in the broader world of health systems is that the innovation group tends to be a standalone unit, at least among the larger health systems. The digital and the IT function are kind of rolled into the same role. Is that also your observation? Do you kind of agree with that statement? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So we had to we thought hard about that and made the choice that we made for the reasons that I explained. Right, right. Now let's talk about digital strategy itself and within your health system. And what we are seeing in other health systems is that there's multiple models for driving digital strategy. At one end, we have a model where they say our EHR system is our digital strategy. So, you know, fill in the blank with whatever EHR vendor name you want to put in it. That's their digital strategy. At the other extreme, we have enterprises that are taking a step back and looking at an enterprise-level digital roadmap and prioritizing all the initiatives and aligning them with enterprise-level strategy and goals. What we see mostly, though, is that Digital is being driven as a portfolio of individual projects, each of which is evaluated on its own merit 
and its own unique business case. Do you agree that that is the predominant model today? And where do you see yourself in that continuum as far as an overarching enterprise-level digital strategy is concerned? Yeah, I mean, I, I would talk to this question just based on my own experience. Like I mentioned, sort of our story starts with having our own EHR, which, as we talked previously, we have paid a lot of attention on governance, a common governance process, and on a conscious effort to build more platforms that support that core EHR. And I feel that with those three things in place, a core EHR, a strong governance process, and an expansion of platforms, I think beyond that, to me, the journey needs to be driven by the priorities of the hospital. Right. And so in our, our example, our president, Pete Healy, and his senior management team, which I'm a part of, you know, we every year sit down and set up our operating plan. And whatever comes out of that is essentially our charter for our digital strategy uh, that, we, that we go build off of. And maybe I can best explain this with a few examples. So for example, one of, one of our operating goal, goals was to maximize our existing capacity. And one of the things we found out was, you know, the discharge process could be expedited, for example, if we were able to notify physicians of the availability of a result that perhaps is the last thing waiting between a patient getting discharged. So, you know, we could use our some of our mobile platform in, in that particular example to build a mobile app that notifies the clinician's smartphones or even their watch that, you know, a result is back. And with one click, given that ours is a browser-based system, takes them into the EHR where they can put in the discharge note order and, and then the patient can be discharged. Why is that important? Because that maximizes our capacity. It doesn't make someone stay here any longer than they need to. Mm-hmm. Another example is, you know, in hospitals like ours, you know, the operating rooms are the biggest focus of both resources and opportunity. And I don't know if you know how operating rooms blocks are are utilized, but, you know, it basically boils down to every surgeon having sort of a slice of time, if you may, where they can book their patients into now. Right. If a surgeon is not going to be there, say, two months from now or let's say two weeks from now because they're going to go on vacation or something, and they say release, quote-unquote, release their block, how do you make sure that that release block gets rebooked? Right. And this was another use case where we thought, that a simple mobile app that could notify unexpected availability of blocks to other surgeons could help improve our backfill rates, and we have seen that. So these are just examples to sort of support the point that, to me, the digital strategy is having common governance, having common platforms, having a dedicated team, but then really being solutions-driven based on the top business priorities. Right. I, I, these are great examples of this real bottom-line benefit. And in the short term, it's not like you're waiting for a long time to spin something up and waiting for the results. So this, these are actually great examples. So Manu, one of the things that I do in my podcast is something called a lightning round, where I asked for the top of mind thoughts from my guests on a handful of emerging technologies. It doesn't have to be necessarily what's happening in your own, in your own health system but a general observation around the state of the technology, state of adoption of technology. Now, the first one is something that we've already talked about at length in your context, uh, but I'd love to hear your views on what you see as the adoption rate in the uh, health system marketplace. Cloud computing. 
You know, I mean, you must have picked that up. I'm favorable towards cloud computing. I think it's cost effective. I think it provides flexibility. I think it actually can be more secure than on-prem if it is designed correctly. And like we experienced in our journey with AWS, it actually opened up to new innovative platforms to surround our EMR with. Prior to having this flexibility, I think, you know, if we had to try out a new solution, we would have to, you know, set it up uh, with new servers and it would might take months. Now we can basically try things and try things within the click of a with the click of a button. We can switch it off when we want to. So I think it's it's I'm overall very positive about the cloud as long as it, it is given the due diligence that it deserves to make sure that it is designed correctly and securely and used productively. Do you feel like your peers in the uh, health system space have by and large embraced cloud and they're you know, well on their journey towards migrating significant portions of their workload and getting into a hybrid kind of a model? I don't know. I mean, I think there's more usage of SaaS solutions in the healthcare sector, whether it's cloud ERPs or service centers or, or what have you, call center solutions. I think the opportunity still exists for migration of on-prem assets to the cloud in the healthcare center. I especially talk about this with anybody I can, and I will be a proponent for it. Right, right. Okay, let's move on to the next one. There's a lot of talk around this, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Where are we in the healthcare space? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of attention with AI ML in the sort of image recognition, but I will say that I think there's a ton of potential of AI ML in what I call core operations and in reducing administrative burdens on clinicians. I'll give you, you know, just a few examples that we have had some success with here. You know, as you may know, before you can, for example, have any surgeries, you got to have a few forms in line, right? So you got to have your consent form, you got to have your HNP form, which is your history and physical form. And these right. forms come in all shape form. You know, they're called forms, but they're literally not forms. They're just basically blobs of information that can come in in faxes and from different places and sometimes hand carried in. So, you know, this is great for machine learning. Machine learning does well in recognizing, you know, images and NLP is very powerful for this. So we have implemented uh, using TensorFlow for solution on runs on AWS with consent forms. We've been using a solution from Amazon called Comprehend Medical to detect HNP forms, and they are now in production. And they are saving hours and hours of time of nurses and other skilled resources that would have otherwise been looking for these forms. You know, that's an example of how I see machine learning playing a role on the operational and administrative side of it. Is your data and analytics organization, is that also part of your function or is it a standalone function? It is part of our function. Okay, okay. And clearly, as part of your Amazon relationship, it sounds like you are taking advantage of all of the advanced analytics capabilities that they offer as part of their cloud services. So do you feel that uh, in addition to you know just the cloud computing aspects of it, which is scale and efficiency, you're also getting the incremental benefit of all of their advanced uh, tools, if you will, analytical tools. Yeah, it allows us to sort of try quickly, fail quickly, move on quickly, or try quickly, succeed quickly, move on quickly, you know, right. because it has lowered the barrier of entry into bigger stacks of platforms, which were otherwise not easy to get to. So that's the beauty of it. Right, right, right. Okay, the next one on my list, uh, voice recognition. 
Yeah, I think specifically medical context recognition has great potential. So understanding not just words, but, you know, inferring context, like taking out diagnosis and problem lists and prescription lists with high degree of confidence from unstructured data to convert that into structured data that can in turn then be fed into ML models. I think voice recognition, and we are seeing solutions in that space. I think that's to me, I think the awesomeness of this potential, of its potential, because it can take this tons of knowledge that is locked in unstructured data and make it more structured. Right, right. The last one on my list here is something that's kind of, you know, that was kind of in the news a big, in a big way last year, but seems to have fallen off the radar a little bit. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts on it. Blockchain. <laughs> yeah, so I'm high on cloud. I don't know what to say on blockchain. <laughs> I'm yet to see, yet to see a, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously open-minded about it, but I'm yet to see a strong healthcare use case. You know, I think I, I'm standing on the sideline observing it more than I'm not actively pursuing it as that's how, that's how yeah, I would say Yeah, you and several other CIOs, I must add. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've covered a fair amount of ground uh, so far, Manu, and, and uh, we're almost coming up to the end of our time here. Let me, let me ask you something. What do you see as the top three challenges for a typical health system CIO today? You know, Patty, I can, uh, I can speak to sort of my world. I think in my world, you know, demand and supply of IT services is one of my top challenges, I would say. I think in general, I think there's three times the demand of what we can do. So even though we do hundreds of projects, I just, it just feels to me like it's not enough. In the healthcare sort of business environment, you can't expect to just keep adding resources to address that. So how do you enhance your productivity? How do you get more smarter in the way you work is something that I am constantly finding myself thinking about. We are doing things like trying to you know, in, in, in IT worker space, you know, context switching is very costly. You know, programmers like to have dedicated space where they can work on things without disruptions that enhances focus. So we are, we are looking very carefully at how our unplanned work sometimes seeps into our work streams. And I'm a bit of a fan of the theory of constraints. So I'm trying to look at it from the constraints perspective as to understand where our bottlenecks are. And I use methods like the Kanban boards to manage our WIPs. And uh, we look at it to try to synchronize our work across the department. All this to say that the challenge of demand and getting productivity enhanced is, I would say, at the top of my mind. Other two challenges, well, I mean, I would go back to interoperability, safe handoffs of patients between healthcare systems or when they arrive at a new place remains a challenge. And cybersecurity, I would say, is the third one. I, I spend you know a good portion of my time with my very capable CISO to deal with cybersecurity, where it seems to be almost always under, uh, under some kind of an attention or the other. So yeah, those are the three, demand, interoperability, and cybersecurity. Right, right. Very interesting. And we didn't talk much about cybersecurity. This is probably a whole separate topic for a whole separate conversation. But as far as the first one is concerned, uh, I imagine there's a lot of technology consulting firms out there who'd love to come in and help you. And uh, I'm sure you have a lot of calls from them anyway. Just to round out our discussion today, I want to talk about the digital health startup environment. You know, we follow this a lot. This is kind of what we do as a firm in our digital transformation advisory practice. You know, the, the broad numbers are that 
VCs are putting in about 10 billion a year, give or take, on funding digital health startups. The vast majority of them don't go anywhere. Of course, the past week we saw a couple of big digital health IPOs come out. And so that's like a shot in the arm for the industry. What's your sense of what that whole landscape looks like today? Are you seeing real innovation coming out that you think you can integrate into your environment and accelerate your innovation? And if so, what's your advice to digital health startups looking to partner with the BIDC in your digital journey? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I get this question quite a bit. What I find myself end up telling folks is something actually that we talked at the top of this podcast, which is, you know, paying attention to workflow. It's not enough to have a smart solution. It has to be put in the context of a very fast-paced work pattern. The opportunity to impact lives There's a short window where you can impact the decision-making of a physician, for example. So I think the workflow, thinking of the workflow part of it, I would suggest is one of my top advices. I would also say that the less data you need for your solution, the better. (laughs) It's an unfortunate advice to give. Data should be more fluid than it is today, but that may or may not be the reality. So if your solution depends on tons of data integration with major vendors, I think that's a red flag to me. And then finally, I would say that people and process matter as much as technology. You know, I think innovation is not a technology-only domain. So creating new technically smart solutions is not the only way one can disrupt the space. The process side of it and the people side of it is just as important. Yeah, I think that is well said because people tend to conflate cool tech with digital health innovation. Uh, The people process, the cultural side of it, the workflow integration, this is all the, you know, in the bowels of how you actually make this thing happen. And very often that tends to get overlooked. You also mentioned interoperability, which is a big challenge, even though in your environment, you're operating your own EHR system. So for internal innovations, I imagine it's a lot easier for you to roll out innovations. But for someone else to come in and integrate with your environment, I imagine it's a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah, I mean, indeed. I mean, it is easier for us because of it's actually, a, I almost think of it as a differentiator. I mean, we do have APIs and we do integrate with a ton of vended systems when we need to. So, but I agree with everything you said. Fantastic. Manu, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners are going to find this to be a fascinating conversation as well. Once again, thank you so much for coming on the show and I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you, Patty. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.